Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we've come to that hour when we're to deliver the message that Thou hast laid upon our heart <clears throat> during this past week. We've labored. And Lord, our Father and our God, Thou knowest that we have no strength. All of our strength is gone. But you said that when we're weak, we're strong and we trust Thee. And our Father, Thou hast gathered us together this morning in this place of worship to call upon Thy holy and righteous name in Jesus Christ's name and by His blood. And Lord, we come with no price in our hands we bring, but simply to the cross we cling. We have no help but that which cometh from Thee. We have no hope but that which lies in Thee, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have no strength except to be given from above. And our Father, our cry is that Thou would open our hearts to Thy Word. And that it would please Thee by Thy Spirit to write thy word upon each and every one of our hearts this morning. And that we will not only hear with the outward ear, but that the inner ear would hear. And thou would be pleased by thy spirit to open our spiritual, our eyes to see spiritual things. For Father, thou didst say in thy word that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And our Father, we can't touch the natural man. Neither can we touch thy children unless thou dost speak. So we come empty-handed. We come utterly and completely dependent upon thee, that by thy Spirit I will write thy word upon our hearts, and we will hear, and herein we will live. For you said that he that heareth the voice of the Son of God shall live. And that's what we desire to do this morning. We desire to hear the voice of the Son of God out of thy precious word, speaking to our hearts. That our Father, that none of us will leave this place the same person as we were when we came in. Thy children will be edified and strengthened and will go away from here rejoicing in all that's been done for them in Christ. And those who have come this way <coughs> looking to thee to write upon their hearts the things of the Lord that thou will not disappoint them but this will be the time of love. And thou will pass by and say unto their souls, Live. And when you pass by and you say, Live, then you will bring them up out of the miry clay and set their feet upon a rock and establish their goings and put a song in their mouth, even praises unto our God. 
And those that here that do not know thee and even have no desire for thee this morning, that even in this hour it would be thy time of love for their hearts to speak to them, to cause them to lift up their souls and cry out after thee and to trust you and to come to thee to do thy work in their souls. Blessed Holy Spirit, do the work which only thou art able to do in each and every one of our hearts. Give us the tongue of a ready writer as we speak forth the truth. And thou hast promised, you said, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. And Lord, we come this morning for to, with our mouth wide open for you to fill it with that which thou dost desire to speak to each and every one of our hearts. Our Father and our God, we're so thankful this morning and give thee praise that thou art God and beside thee there's another. And in thee we live and move and have our being. And our hearts are full of praise and thanksgiving for what you're doing and that thou art allowing <clears throat> this church to go in the byways and hedges and compelling them to come in throughout the entire world. Oh, my Father, I praise you for all of this. Thank you for all that you've done. And we would bring especially to you, Brother Michael Logston, this morning. Oh, my Father, thou knowest the deep waters that he's been through in the last months. Physically, and then spiritually, and then the attacks from without and within. Be with him this morning and strengthen him and hold him and keep him. And then, my father, as I talked to my friend, my dear friend Howard Lindick last night in New Jersey, on the verge of eternity, how my heart went out after him in love. Thank you for his testimony, dying grace. And our Father, we praise thy name that he was one of the first fruits of the ministry via the tapes. And we praise you for it. Be with him this morning. Hold him and keep him. <clears throat> and we thank thee that thou art sending people there to hear him talk about the things of the Lord. Oh, Lord, be with him. And have mercy upon those who come to visit and give him thy words to speak. Help us, lead us, and guide us is our cry this morning. In Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat> for the last two Lord's Day mornings, we have been speaking to you upon the gracious and glorious subject of justification before God and by the imputed righteousness of Christ. I did not know we were going we were, we were to make three messages out of this, out of this series, but we have. And I want you to turn with us in your Bibles as we read in chapter 5 of Romans this morning, and I trust that you will hear 
And God will send his word home to each and every one of our hearts. For the greatest statement of the gospel is going to be our text this morning. And I want you to see how it dovetails. Chapter 6 and 7 <coughs> are parent <coughs> chapters, parenthesis. He had been speaking about justification by faith and faith alone based upon the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ from verse 21 of chapter 3 on through chapter 5. And as chapter 5 closes, then he goes in to answer questions in chapter 6 and 7, and he picks it up again at chapter 8, verse 1. And we desire to read to you chapter 5, and then go over to chapter 8 and read the first four verses. See how they dovetail one to the other. He again, <clears throat> we're again speaking upon the, the, the justification. We spoke the first Sunday on the justification through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how God saves the ungodly. And he gave both, Dave, uh, both Abraham and David as examples in chapter 4. And last Lord's Day morning we spoke on chapter 4, verse 25, justification through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues this on through chapter 5, and listen as he brings it together. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world. <clears throat> but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, God, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the solemnitude of God's trans Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense also is the free gift. For if the, through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, chapter 8, verse 1, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I desire to speak this morning on that first verse of chapter, one, uh, chapter 8, the greatest statement of the gospel flowing out of justification by, imputed, by the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter begins with no condemnation. This chapter ends by no separation. For he who is justified before God through the imputed righteousness of Christ, that individual never comes under the condemnation of God again. He's acquitted from all of his sins. Therefore, he can rest in the fact that there is no separation from God for he says in verse 19, nothing is able, verse 39 at least, there's nothing able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we have defined that word justification for you before. Let's do it again this morning. So you'll understand what we're talking about. The teaching of the Word of God on... <clears throat> Justification means this, that God delivers us, declares us to be entirely guiltless when He saves us. He regards us as if we had never sinned. He pronounces us to be just and to be righteous. In doing so, He is answering any declaration that the law might make with respect to us. It is a judge upon the bench, not merely saying that the prisoner at the bar is forgiven, but that he, that he pronounces him to be a just and righteous person. most gracious thing in all the world is to be saved by the grace of God, justified before God, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For in justification, when we come to God as a poor sinner and nothing at all, we cast ourselves by faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He pronounces us to be just and righteous. 
in justifying us, God tells us that He has taken our sins and our guilt and He has imputed them or reckoned them to be punished in the account of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. So the Lord Jesus Christ, by His death upon the cross, was punished for our sins. Therefore, God announces that after Christ has done this, He has put to our account or imputed to our account the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by righteousness we mean right thought, right motive, right word, and right deeds. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ being holy, without sin, or as He tells us in Hebrews 7, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, having been born sinless out of the, 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 the virgin's womb, having taken upon Himself the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And what did He do? He kept it perfect in thought, in motive, in word, and deed his whole lifetime through, so that he might be able to take that perfect body and that perfect righteousness that he had worked out for us, having kept the law for us, and offering himself as a sacrifice to God. And that blood poured out at the foot of the altar cross was what God looked upon having re- as, as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world, suffered and died in our place. And therefore, that righteousness which He worked out in His life, He wove on the loom of the cross into a garment so bright and so glorious and so beautiful that God cannot see us anymore. He sees Christ. He tested that righteousness in the darkness of the tomb. And he adorned it in the brightness of the resurrection. And in his ascension, he went back to the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us within the veil. And there, as our perfect representative, our perfect righteousness, when we come as poor sinners and nothing at all, and lay at his feet with no work of our own, Because we saw in chapter 4 that God didn't save Abraham after he had made him godly. He saved him while he was yet a godly sinner. In other words, when God comes to us and deals with our hearts, justification comes to the ungodly. He does not first make us godly and then justify us. He does not make us righteous and then justify us. We are unrighteous when we come to Him, and He makes us righteous. Not in our own person, but in Christ. So that whenever He looks upon us again, He does not look upon us as an ungodly sinner anymore. 
He does not look upon us as an unrighteous sinner anymore. He does not look upon us as one who is worthy of hell and of death and of His judgment and wrath that should be poured out upon us. What does He do? He looks upon us as, a, as Christ because we are, we are clothed by faith in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, we are not justified because we are sanctified. Most, I tell you, if I didn't know what I was talking about, I wouldn't be preaching. And no man tried to, tried to get God to save him by his works. I thought I had to get sanctified. I thought I had to make myself good enough for God to save me. I had to pray enough. I had to repent enough. I had to mourn enough or groan enough. And I saw that all of that was empty works before God, and God was not going to save me because of that. He was going to save me as an ungodly sinner. And as I was preparing this, I remember, never will forget, as long as I live, when I felt, you know, that I needed to do some work that God would accept, I would put on a white shirt and my blue pants and my, my white shoes, and I would go to Charity Hospital, and I'd walk in the place, and I'd start giving out tracts and Gospels, especially in, in the TV ward, Five Floors. That was before they had a, had a cure for TV. And I would, I would work for two or three hours, and sometimes in the whole main building, and go home and felt that I had done something for God, and now God was going to save me. God was going to do something for me because I had done something for Him. I was trying to get sanctified before I ever got justified. And God does not do that. God saves us as we are. What are we? We are nothing but prisoners of hell. We are guilty. We are guilty sinners before God. We abide under the righteous justice of God. We are guilty before the law. The law said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And I was under the penalty of death. I had, but, but praise God, when God, by His marvelous grace, brought me where I saw I had nothing to offer to God. I could not keep one jot or tittle of the law that would satisfy God. I was guilty, an ungodly sinner, and I could not be acquitted by any personal righteousness or works that I had ever done. For when I got finished, I was still an ungodly sinner in the sight of God. I know what I'm talking about. God does not save us after He makes us godly. He saves us as He, yeah, he saves us as ungodly sinners. You see, there is nothing that we can bring to God, and this is the beauty and, and preciousness of the gracious doctrine of justification that God counts us righteous in Christ, not in ourselves. And don't get me wrong. Repentance does come in. Holy Spirit conviction does come in. Faith does come in. There has to be that turning unto God. It's all of grace and all of God. But to be justified before God, it is God's work to justify us. And He does it when we come to Him as, as sinners and nothing at all. 
We have nothing to bring to Him but Christ. Oh, I praise God that we can come with the Lord Jesus by faith and we can look to Him and trust Him knowing that He will... He will look upon us as He looks upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day! What a glorious day! What a gracious day that was! And by faith I was enabled to look away to Christ and find out that my sins had been blotted out of the thick cloud. And as a cloud my sins, He said, Return unto Me, for I have redeemed thee. He has done the work. It was finished. And so what what does that do? Well, we stand before God then, clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. For you see, salvation is an exchange of places. And I've acted it out to you before, and I'll do it again this morning. Here I stand in all my sin, in all my works that I've tried to palm off on God. And I've tried to palm off on Him. I could name them, but take too long. But here I am. I deserve hell. I deserve the wrath of God. I have seen that, and I know that. And I have come to know that salvation is of the Lord. I can't give it to myself. I can't make God save me. But I have found from the Word of God, as the Holy Spirit has taught me this, that God came in the person of His Son for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin for what the law could not do and that it was weak through my flesh. God sending His own, His only begotten Son, how did He send Him? In the likeness of sinful flesh, without sin, for sin, and He condemned sin in my flesh, And then, praise God, from His Word I found by the Holy Spirit that the righteousness of the law which I could not fulfill, the Lord Jesus has fulfilled for me. Now we walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. But here I stand, condemned. Here stands the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. He was the one who came in His own body. And for thirty-three and a half years lived that perfect life. And when He went to the cross, my sins were laid upon Him. For God hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And salvation is a substitution of places. For when I came by the grace of God and He brought me to the end of my way, I had nothing to offer Him but sin. Then it was that I found out that the Lord Jesus Christ had taken my place, and I had been, my sins had been laid upon Him, and therefore, by faith, I understand that I stand justified before God, just as if I had never sinned. The law satisfied, God's justice satisfied. Why? On what basis? on the basis of the shed blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, given to me wholly and completely by the grace of God, without any work whatsoever in my hands, I bring nothing but sin. Christ took my place, and His righteousness that He had worked out for me was put to my account. 
And so the Father never looks at me again in myself. He looks at me in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, what is justifying faith? Briefly, let me give it to you again this morning. True justifying faith consists of three things. May the Spirit write it upon our hearts this morning. First of all, self-renunciation. Faith is going out of myself. I've told you that for years. I've put it in my own language. Faith, saving faith, goes out of myself because I find nothing here that is any good I can present to God. I've got to go to somebody else. So faith goes outside of myself and it goes to Christ, who alone can bear my sins. There's self-renunciation. Faith goes out of oneself. Faith in self-renunciation, I am taken off of all of my merits. See, and I have no righteousness of my own, as Paul said in Philippians 3.9, that I can present to God, He's not going to accept it. For he says in Romans 10, his own people went about seeking to establish their own righteousness and had never submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. And then second, justifying faith consists in reliance. The soul casts itself by faith upon Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ's person. Faith believes the promise. Faith believes the word. But faith goes beyond that and rests in Him who gave the promise, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, faith is taken up with a person. And that person is the blessed Lord Jesus Christ who came that He might die in my place. And therefore we read in Song of Solomon 8.5, Who is this that cometh up out of the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? She was leaning upon Christ. And that's the way we do. We come and we lean upon Him. Faith is described to be, to be believing on the name of the Son of God, that is, on His person. Faith rests on Christ's person. As He was crucified, buried and risen, exalted to the right hand of the Father, and faith goes out to Him, trusting Him. But true justifying faith has a third application, and it is this. There must be that appropriating or applying of Christ to myself. In other words, the medicine is no good if I don't take it, if I don't apply it. It's not been applied, it does me no good. Though, though it's sitting right there, it could do me good. And so it is the same way, unless faith applies to Christ, unless faith goes out to God in Christ. Unless we go, faith applies the blood of Christ to the heart and we take from Christ all of those things that are offered to us in Him. Self-renunciation, reliance, and the appropriation or the applying of Christ to ourselves. But then we come to our 8.1 of Romans 1. And this is where justification ends up, right here. There is therefore now no condemnation 
to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I believe, beloved, that this verse, with its, great, with its teaching, is one of the greatest statements of the Scripture. It is one of the most important in Christian experience and for the health of our well-being as believers and the children of God to know that the Word of God says there is therefore now no condemnation. I, and I read that 35 years ago and it, was, it read the same way. Therefore, now, there is now no condemnation. I read it again last night and I read it again this morning. It read the same thing. There is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, there has never been a time since God delivered my poor never dying soul that I have ever stood condemned before God. Under no circumstance. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, brother, that's a dangerous doctrine. Yeah, every doctrine is dangerous. And people take the doctrine of justification by imputed righteousness and they run with it and they say, well, if that's the case, then I'll have my full sin. But they haven't read the sixth chapter of Romans. And the Romans, the sixth chapter of Romans says, Shall I sin that grace may abound? God forbid, perish the thought, he says. For we died with Christ. For why? How can I continue in that which I died to? If I'm dead to sin, and that's what, what God's Word says, I know there's still sin in the flesh, and I won't get rid of it till I get in my new body. But praise God, Romans 6 teaches that we are dead to sin, and sin no longer reigns over us. Read, 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 please read Romans 6. Read it with that in mind. And this is what Romans 6 teaches. That the reign of grace, the, I mean the reign of sin and the power of sin has been broken and it no longer has a hold upon the people of God. That's exactly what it says. It was written for that purpose to show us that the power of sin, the power of ruling and reigning sin in our hearts and lives is broken. That's the reason he tells us in 1 John 3 that the believing child of God can no longer make sin the practice and rule of his life anymore. You know why? The reign of sin and the power of sin has been broken and it never can come back under its power again. Well, what do I do when I read in the Scripture that he, those whom He loves, He rebukes and He chastens? When He does that, He does not do it in a penal way. That is, He's punishing us for our sins that we might have salvation. He's punishing us for our sins because we're His children. And those whom He rebukes and chastens, He loves. That, you see, is another sermon. <laughs> That's another sermon to preach. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. And I'm not saying that God's children do not fall into sin. For they do. But they're never under condemnation again. Because God's Word says there's no longer any condemnation. Now, beloved, I didn't say that. You see, 
If I had said it, then you would have something to say. But God said it. And I believe His Word. That there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I wish you would read it over and over and over again. What does it mean? Well, let's break up. Let's break the word condemnation down. What does the word condemnation mean? It means blame. It means denunciation. It means censor. It means reproof. It means criticism. It means reprobation. But let's put the word, let's put the word no in the front of every one of those words and see what we get. The doctrine is there's no longer, there's no criticism. There's no reproof. There's no censor. There's no denunciation. There's no blame. There's no reprobation. Why? Because God sees us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the word means, the opposite of condemnation means means acquittal. It means pardon. It means approval. And I like the last one. That which our Catholic friends take and think that they own it because the priest gives the, the one who's dying the rights of last absolution. But beloved, God gives His people complete absolution when He saves them. Gives them complete absolution when He saves them. Well, I don't know if I could believe that or not. But that's the Word of God, see? That's what I'm preaching to you this morning. That's the culmination of the doctrine of justification and imputed righteousness. Well, the only... Listen to me now. Listen to me. If you do not believe the doctrine of no condemnation, if you do not believe that, then you've got to believe falling from grace. You've got to believe falling from grace. For every time you sin... Well, I'm lost again. Well, I repent and I come back. God forgives me. The next day, I'm trying to live the best I can and I'm trying to hold my temper and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that and the very next day something will come into my life and before I know it, my mouth is spewing out. Oh, there I go again. I'm lost. Now I'm lost. I'm under condemnation again. I gotta go back. You either gotta believe what I just told you just now, or you gotta believe what the scripture says, no condemnation. Amen. And I believe what scripture says. Amen. No condemnation. You see what God does for us when He saves us? He gives us a new heart, and He gives us a new nature. And a new spirit, and that which we once hated, His holiness, we now love. And that which we once loved, sin, we now hate. Ah, so God's done something for us. And He has put His Spirit within us to hold us and to keep us. And not only that, but He has made us a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, I hear you. I hear you saying, Pastor, I don't know about that doctrine. I just don't know about that doctrine. I've been trying all my life to get saved. Well, you better quit. Because trying ain't going to get you there. The doctrine is of what I've been preaching, what I tried to condense for you this morning. I put in two other messages. And it is this. We come to Him with nothing but sin. We cast ourselves by faith upon Him. God justifies us, counts us as if we've never sinned. And what does He do? He puts, us up, puts on us that beautiful robe of righteousness and forever He looks at us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you one more time, and I've told it 10,000 in my preaching. When God says, where is Leroy Shelton Jr., the Lord Jesus Christ says, here he is. I'm accepted in the Beloved. Now, let's go a little further. You see the expression there in chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are what? Here's the key to the whole thing. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are what? Who are in Christ Jesus. And this is where God puts us when He saves us. In Christ. Alright, let me give you an illustration. If that's not the case, why does He say in Ephesians 5 that we are bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh? Why does He say in 1 Corinthians 12 that He is the head, and I am the body. How closer can you get than the head and the body? Sever the head from the body and both are dead. But you see, my head is in heaven, Christ. And you can't drown a man you get his head underwater. And my head's in heaven. And therefore, I am his part of his body. And in another place, he says that I, that I am, that, that he is the foundation, and I am the building on it. And we are cemented together, one with Him. In another place, He says that He is the vine, and I am the branch. How can you get any closer than that? The life which comes out of the branch flows in, out of the, 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 the root of the, the vine, flows into the branch. His very life flows into me by the grace of God. How do you know all of this, Pastor? By faith. The revelation of the Holy Spirit to my own soul, that this has been wrought in my heart, and this is what I'm trying to preach to you. That we understand that God has done this by faith. I haven't seen a vision. I don't dream dreams. Oh, my dreams are terrible. I hate them. He reveals it to us out of His precious Word. We come to Him. And that's what He says. All right? No condemnation. Never has been and never can be. And I tell you, these words tells us that our position right now is as a child of God is in Christ. No condemnation. That little word, no. Two letters. But that little word is full of meaning. It means entire. It means complete. It means absolute. Any word you want to put there, 
that could describe that little word. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that a believer, a child of God, is a person who has been taken entirely outside of the realm of any possible or conceivable condemnation. In other words, I am no longer in that realm where I live. I walked in the realm of sin. I walked there. By, the, by, 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 by my own will, I walked there. But sin is not the realm in which I desire to live anymore. Sin is not my realm. God has taken me out of that realm. This is where He takes every soul out of that realm. We have been taken out of the realm of our past life. And we've been placed into another. That's why he tells us in Colossians 1, we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of the Son of God. We're no longer in that kingdom of darkness. In that kingdom of darkness, we no longer walk in that realm anymore. That's not my realm. My realm is in the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and that's a kingdom of holiness and righteousness. A, a, a realm where we have washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. A realm where I love the things of God. I love His Word. I love to pray. I love to be with the children of God. I love to talk about the things of God. You see, this is a different realm altogether than the realm of darkness where all we thought about was self and sinning and pleasing self and wanting our own way. But God has brought us out of that realm and put us entirely into the realm where He walks. And it's a realm of righteousness and a realm of holiness and where there is no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you proof positive. You've probably doubted, some of you, what I've said. But I'm going to give you proof positive that what I've said is just as true as the Word of God is. Are you ready for this? In that same chapter of Romans, chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, you find it written in your own Bible, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that what I told you is true. No condemnation. Look at verses 33 and 34 of Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Did you know that a believer can come to the throne and confess every sin he's ever committed? And God's not going to condemn him. I've told many a person in my life when they have told me off, told me all about it, and if, I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. I said, you go home and you get on your knees. And you go before the Heavenly Father and you tell Him all that you've been telling Leroy Shelton, Jr. And you go tell Him how wicked He is, how terrible He is. He can't do this. He can't do that. He don't know how to do this. He don't know how to do this. Go there and spread it all out before Him and see what happens. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God to justify it. But that's not enough. You see, God knew we knew something needed something else. So what does He do? He brings His Son into it. Who is He that condemned it? It, it? it is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So there we have it. God the Father says, 
I do not find any fault in him at all. I find nothing but what my son has done in imputing his righteousness to his account. And then I go to Christ. Well, do you find anything wrong with this man? Am I going to condemn him? Why? I died for him and he would not be condemned. Not only that, I suffered for him. I bore his sins in his own body upon the tree. And not only that, but I cried on the cross, It is finished! And then I was buried in the grave for three days and three nights. And not only did I die, but I rose again the third day as his justifier. Am I going to condemn him? And then I've gone to the right hand of the Father, God the Father, to make intercession for him. And I'm pleading for him every day that his faith fail not and that, that, that he will be kept by the power of God through faith unto that last day which shall be revealed. No, I'm not going to condemn him. God did all that for him. Proof positive, my text is true. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor, I still don't understand it. Well, I don't know what else to tell you. I done told it all to you. But I'll go a little further with you, though. I won't give up on you. How long will this? How long will he continue to do this? Is there anything that's going to ever be able to separate us? Well, let me read you the 38th and 39th verses. Paul said, "I am persuaded. I know without the shadow of a doubt." But neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To me, that's the stamp of approval upon that first verse as nothing else could be put upon it, along with that 33rd and 34th verses that God makes us justice safe. And then having, having done that for us, He gives us of His Spirit. He gives us of His Spirit that we might go on day by day. So you say, what can I do? Well, I've been trying to tell you you could do nothing. I won't accept your works. Accept the work of Christ. So anyway, He wants you to come to Him with all your condemnation upon you, with all your sins upon you, He wants you to come to Christ. And then when, he come, when you come to Christ and you believe Him in the work that He has done, then He'll put upon you that righteousness. And you'll never be lost. That's justification. Now, let's see if we can prove that. In John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe in His hand. And if that wasn't enough, he gave us a double hiding place. Not only are we hid 
in the palms of Christ's hand, but we are hid in the palms of the Father's hand. And you know, there's another statement just like that in Colossians chapter 3. Let me read it to you. If we then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead. Watch it now. And your life is hid with Christ in God. The double hiding place. And was this not what He told us in Isaiah 40 and 1, where He said He paid double for our sins? Of course it is. To give us that double hiding place in the hands of the Savior and the hands of the Father, and who is able to pluck us out of their hands when we sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, don't accuse me of preaching another gospel this morning, because I'll tell you why. If you do not believe what I told you in, 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 in Romans 8, 1, then you do not believe in what is called the fifth of the five points, and that is the perseverance of the saints. And I believe it. I believe in the whole truth. And the whole truth is no condemnation, no separation, and God treats us as if we have never sinned. In other words, he, has, he treats us like He treats His only Son. Now, I will make another statement. Not only... Does God, when He just saves us, forgive us of our past sins? But God forgives us of our present sins. And God forgives us our future sins. That's grace. Well, if I believe that, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You was going to say, I'll have my full of sin. No, you wouldn't. Because you're in Christ. Amen. And He is not going to allow you to live such a life. Amen. Ask me, and I'll tell you. He'll do for you like He did for me. He said, it's going to take a lot to keep that man broken after I save him. So what does he do? In his book of predestination, he wrote, that man's got to go through 22 operations. He's got to go to the hospital 48 times. He's got to be cestoscoped five times and they have eight kidney stones attacked and two pancreas attacked and gallbladders attacked. And uh, I'm going to keep him broken and humble and I'm going to let him fall about a half a time, half a dozen times every year so that when he falls, he'll have to be cast back upon the Lord to keep him going. And I fell this morning trying to shine my shoes. I should have left him alone. But he brought me to the pulpit again. You know why he did all that? He knows what I need to keep me broken at his feet. And I praise him for that. I am not going to... I'm going to be like Job. 
I'm not going to cause God foolishly. I'm not going to say anything about Him. He does everything right. If that's the way He planned and purposed, then that's fine. My wife says, I use it too much, but I have a, I have a good excuse for being a procrastinator. Because <laughs> I, I shouldn't even be here this morning. My mom was in labor for 96 hours with me. And after I was crossed in her womb, and the country doctor didn't know what to do, and for three days and three nights we both liked to die, and my dad finally got up enough courage to drive 45 miles in his Model T Ford on a dirt road to Alexandria, Louisiana, to get a doctor that he knew to bring him in there. And when he came in, he saw the trouble, he righted me in my mother's womb after 96 hours of labor. And when I came out, he turns to my dad and he says, Which one of them you want to save, your wife or your son? He said, save my wife. So they wrapped me in a blanket to die and put me on a, on a couch. And nearly 75 years later, I'm still alive by the grace of God. So I was, I was a procrastinator from my mother's womb. My wife says, I use that too much. But I shouldn't even be here. What am I trying to tell y'all? I'm trying to tell y'all this that God is not going to allow me to live a life of sin. He is going to use everything at His command to keep me broken at His feet, that I'll walk in a way of humility and brokenness before Him. This is the way I want to walk. I cried to Him for this. I don't want to be a rebel that He's got to beat me over the head all the time. No, I don't like that. But, He has His way. And, I, and I've met people in my life that haven't even been in the door of a hospital all their lives. And I've lived in them. That's the way God has done to keep me broken. But I praise Him for it that I would not, not make sin the practice and rule of my life. And He knows. You see, God knows us that, that we need all of this, and, but He's not going to forsake us because we're in Christ. He's not going to forsake us for we're in Christ. Now, where does all this lead to? I will close with this. Where does all of this I've been trying to tell you this morning lead to? It leads, God's act of justification is the basis of our final assurance. Of our absolute certainty that we can never again come under condemnation. And that God will go on with us go on with His work in us of sanctifying us, and that He will glorify us completely and entirely in that day without spot or blemish or any such thing in Christ forever and forever. We will be complete in Him. And there we shall remain forever and ever because there's no separation. One of the, one of the clearest things that comes out of this message to my heart as I've studied all week and meditated upon it is... That, that this condemnation, no condemnation, is my assurance that God is going to take care of me and get me to glory by His almighty power. He's going to hold me. He's not going to let me go under. He's not going to let me apostate, apostatize. He's not going to let me do it. He's going to hold me by His almighty power and by His almighty grace forever and forever for which I praise His name. No condemnation. 
in Christ Jesus. If we're in Him, there is nothing beyond Him. There's nothing beyond Christ. When we have said Christ Jesus the Lord, we've said everything. I can appeal to no other higher power. I can go to nobody else but Him, but find in Him my all in all and trust Him forever and forever. He said, will He do this for me? Well, yes. You come to Him. You trust Him. You look to Him. Why don't you this morning? I wish I knew how to exhort. I would exhort you. Why don't you this morning, if you're here and you've been struggling and struggling and struggling to get assurance, you've been struggling and struggling to come to an absolute certainty that you belong to Christ and that God has done a work of grace in your soul, I think of you. Quit your struggle. But I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me. That's my only hope. Well, that's just the trouble. That is your hope. And your hope is not in Christ. And that's what I'm trying to get you to do this morning. By the grace of God is to lay down that hope that you'll ever have enough, that you will ever do enough for God to save you. That you will ever do enough that will be able to present you to God because you will never get good enough that God will look and say, well, look at that man. I've got to save him. He's got good enough for me to save him. No. But if you were laying over there as a poor, hell-deserving, lost sinner, and you've come to the end of your way, and you finally said, I give it all up, I let go, <clears throat> here I am, Lord. You don't think you come there? I know you come there. Because I, I, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I knew that He was sovereign. He could save me, or He could damn me. And when I sat there in that place that day, I said, Lord, You're sovereign. You can save me, or You can damn me. But I'm not moving from this place of utter dependence upon you to either do one of the two. Save me or send me on to hell where I deserve to go. I didn't know it, but I had come to the end of my way. I'd quit my working. It was in his hands. And guess what? He gave me saving faith to lay hold of him and look to him. And you know something else? I've been living like that for all these many years because every problem that comes up Everything that happens, I've got to come to the end of my way with it. If God doesn't work it out, it's gone. And if you have been with us here these 19 years and seen God built this ministry, this church and this ministry, if you have been here and gone through what I've gone through within the last 19 years, you would have known that I've been there a thousand and one times where it looked like it was all gone. But there's one thing I could rest upon There is no testing. There is no trial. 
that comes upon any man, but it's common to all of us, And but God is faithful in that he'll not put on us any more than we're able to bear, but he will with that testing, that trial, make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. I've seen him do that a thousand and one times. And how long will this continue? He'll continue to do this for his for forever for his glory. I've tried by the grace of God this morning to bring before you his precious word that there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I'll show you how to get there. Show you what faith is. I know it's the work of the Spirit of God because without the work of the Spirit of God nothing happens. I know this. But I know also that he was, this man received as sinners and he will receive you. Remember what I told you before I, we sang verse 3 of that song, Jesus I Come. I said, The Lord sent forth the, 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 the invitation, Come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And one woman heard him and believed him. And she followed him to Simon's house. She fell at his feet. Did he turn her away? Simon would have turned her away. In fact, he would have. He said to himself, if, if, if the master knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. But our Lord said, Simon, Simon. And he, gave him a, he gave him a story and told her, Go away. Thy sins are forgiven thee. And this is what he'll tell you this morning as you come to him and lay at his feet. Won't you come? May God have mercy upon us and lead us by Spirit. I do not believe that God's Word is going to return to him void this morning because I have come in this pulpit believing that God was going to take His Word home to hearts. Who? I don't know. But He does. I will, and I trust Him. And I know that He sent you this way. He sent me here. He sent the Word with us. The Spirit's been operative in our hearts. And I trust Him to do that work which only He can do in each and every one of our hearts. And you'll look back and you'll remember this is the day you fell in love with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, if you do, you'll be loving Him, following Him, crying after Him for the rest of your life. You know why? But he's put that love in your soul. He's loved you first. And you'll love him. And you'll follow him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at 
www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.